The following is a chapter reading of Pokemon Origin of Species by Daystar Eld. Please support the original author at daystareld.com. Chapter 4 Operant Conditioning Go! Shit, they're fast! There's another! I got it! Red throws a third time, letting go too soon and setting a Pokeball slightly off target. Not that it matters. The small brown Pokemon hops out of the way, wings flapping to send the ball further out of reach. The gust of wind sends dirt into Red's eyes, and he covers his face with an elbow while holding on to his cap's bill to keep it on his head. When the wind stops, he looks up to see a small flock of Pidgey swiftly departing. Blue walks over, breathing hard. Goddamn birds, he mutters as he brushes dirt from his eyes. Hair a windblown mess. His squirrel approaches from behind, staring after the departed Pidgey for a moment before dropping onto all fours and investigating the grass around them. Squirtle managed to hit any of them? Red asks as he walks around to reclaim the Pokeballs and drink them. A couple, but they recovered too fast, and she ran out of water. Blue pulls a bottle of it out and begins squirting some into the turtle's open mouth. Red hadn't summoned Charmander, wanting to avoid further injury unless necessary. He looks over to where Leaf and Bulbasaur are, and sees her pick up one of her own Pokeballs before heading to them. No luck either, huh? Red asks. No, I think we're definitely going to need to wear them down first. Which would be easy enough if they just stay and fight, Blue says. Red sighs and sits on a patch of short grass, crossing his leg beneath him and drinking from Blue's water bottle. The other two sit in a rough triangle, Blue rubbing Swirl's shell. Pidgey aren't as aggressive as Rattata, Red says. Unless we find a nest and actually start messing with their eggs, they have no reason to stick around rather than just fly off if threatened. Maybe we can hold off on catching one for now? Leaf says. Blue shakes his head. I want a flying type before we reach Viridian Forest. Unless you want to risk getting dive-bombed by some Beedrill without any way to fight back. What's a Beedrill? Leaf asks. And Blue pulls out his Pokedex. A large, winged, black and yellow insect. All stingers and pointed claws appears on the screen. Ah, uh, yeah. That might be a problem, so... Ideas? We go to Viridian City and get a net launcher and come back, Red says. It's one of the items on his eventual wish list of gear and he looked into some prices online. They cost $500, but we can rent one for 130 a day. Blue scratches his neck. That's not bad. How much do you have? After buying all my gear, I've got 237 left. You? I got about 500 saved up. I brought 400 for the trip, so we could all pull in to rent one for 43 each, or buy it for 167 So that's an option, but a pricey one, Red says. Blue nods. I was hoping to save for critical supplies until I can get some winnings for extra cash. Let's make that a plan B. Any other ideas? Leaf looks around the tall grass, some of it as high as our shoulders while seated. A trap of some kind? I can hide with Bulbasaur in some tall grass. Maybe try to grab him with vines if it gets close. That might take hours of waiting, Blue says. What if we lure them, dig a hole, make a false cover, and put some berries in it? Red runs his fingers through the grass. Even if they were heavy enough to break it, they'd just fly out before we got close. I like the berry idea, though. Maybe combine it with leaves? Bulbasaur sits under the trap? Or better yet, we can just find a berry bush to hide him in, Leaf says. They agree, and get to look for a good spot. It isn't hard to find berry bushes, but most of them are stripped of ripe fruit by wild Pokemon. A few Rattata and Pidgey run from the trio as they walk through the tall grass, 
and eventually they find a berry-laden bush with three rat tatter around it. They seem willing to stand and fight at first, until Leaf brings Bulbasaur out. They flee before Red can bring out Charmander, and Blue throws a Pokeball at the retreating rodents, missing one by a hair. Not a word, Blue says. It's easier when they're knocked out, Red offers with a grin. Okay, Bulbasaur, in you go. Leaf points at the berry bush. Her Pokemon walks over to it and begins to feed. No, stop! Bulbasaur hesitates a moment, then continues. Leaf pulls out a spray bottle out of her pocket and squirts a mist of water in Bulbasaur's face, saying, Stop! Again. He recoils, blinking in surprise, and looks at his trainer with a mournful sound. I guess we didn't think this through, Blue says, balancing a spinning Pokeball on one finger. She's just going to eat the berries when we move away. Give me a bit and he won't, Leaf says. This is a good training opportunity. Blue looks skeptical. You're going to train him not to eat the berries? Might want to make sure he's full first. It's not too hard. I just have to reward him with something he wants more. Red turns to Leaf, impressed anew. You studied operant conditioning? He's starting to appreciate that Leaf had probably worked at least as hard to prepare for this journey as he and Blue. The Pavlov thing? Blue asks. That's classical conditioning. Operant conditioning deals with positive and negative reinforcement. Blue stares blankly at him. I'm pretty sure we covered this in school together. Oh? Blue spins his Pokeball again, arm moving slightly to keep it balanced. I must have been sick that day. Red sighs as Leaf smiles and puts down her backpack to dig through it. Okay, so Professor Skinner was studying behavior theory and was focused on the way Pokemon learn. He put Rattata in a box which had a mechanism to release food, along with a lever and a light display or speakers. This is fascinating, Blue says in monotone. Do you want to know what she's going to do or not? I was hoping for a 10-second answer, not an hour-long lecture. It's been 20 seconds, if that, and only counting your interruption. What? I said it was fascinating, then you get all huffy. Anyway, Red continues, deciding to simplify. He was able to train the Pokemon to press the lever after seeing the right light display or hearing the right sound, but not when seeing or hearing the wrong one. The lever would only dispense food if they pressed it after the right signal. That was their reward, to reinforce the desired behavior. If they did it the wrong one, they would get a small shock or something. That adverse stimulus was called the punishment. Leaf finds and takes out a small box of Pokepuffs. The round cakes are colorful, and their scent fills the air as soon as she opens the wrapping. Bulbasaur and Squirtle sniff, their gazes is locking on to the brown and orange pastry. Leaf holds it up. Ah, oh, okay. That's starting to sound familiar, Blue says. It's like how we link new commands with Pokemon attacks. Right. But the principle works with more than just battle commands, Red says. In fact, it works for pretty much anything, and even the least intelligent Pokemon respond to it to some degree. Nor are humans exempt. Red had made the connection to his own learning not to touch a hot stove as a toddler before finding the studies that supported it. According to behavior theory, pretty much all learned behavior is a result of reinforcement and associations. So that water bottle, that's the punishment, Blue says. And the Pokepuff's the reward. Right. The water bottle is a positive punishment because it adds experience to minimize a behavior. Pokepuff is a positive reinforcement because it reinforces the behavior. Positive and negative are used in a technical sense here to mean add or subtract, not to place a subjective judgment on what's being added or subtracted. A negative reinforcement would be a positive experience for a Pokemon because it removes a noxious experience when doing a behavior, which encourages it to do that behavior again. Leaf positions Bulbasaur in front of the bush again, and waits until Bulbasaur begins to scratch his neck out for a berry. 
then says, Stop! Bulbasaur hesitates again, and when he resumes reaching for a berry, he gets another spray of mist. It takes another few repetitions of this until Bulbasaur stops reaching for the berries on his own. Isn't this going to make him stop eating berries altogether? Blue asks. It could, with enough reinforcement, Red admits. But she can fine-tune it. Watch. Leaf offers Bulbasaur a berry from her hand, and after a moment, he eats it. He doesn't get squirted, and after she offers him another one, he's faster to eat it, which earns him a scratch behind his ear. The real behavior she's trying to teach him doesn't have to do with berries, but to respond to her saying, Stop, Red explains. He recognizes the word to some degree thanks to previous training, but he isn't used to hearing it when doing mundane things. He's also learning not to eat berries unless it's offered to him. Leaf stays still and silent for a long time, and Bulbasaur doesn't reach for any berries. Finally, he begins to stir and stretch his neck out for one, and when Leaf says, Stop! He does so right away. Good boy! Leaf breaks off a piece of the Pokepuff and feeds it to him, then scratches him behind the ear. Who's that good Bulbasaur? You are! Squirrel is watching the interaction attentively, and eventually walks over to Blue and looks up at him expectantly. What? Blue says, sounding defensive as he catches the ball to stop it from spinning. I don't have any Pokepuffs. I'll pick up some Viridian. Squirtle doesn't seem particularly assured. It makes a gurgling sound, plodding off towards a berry bush to eat some. Bulbasaur watches Squirtle, but doesn't join her, earning him another piece of the puff. By the time the Pokepuff is gone, Bulbasaur is obediently sitting in the middle of the berry bush without reaching for any of them. Part of it might be that he's less hungry, but Red knows the Pokebuffs are designed as treats and aren't particularly filling. Leaf brushes her hands off on her pants. Now we just need to train him to grab anyone that tries to eat the berries. She eyes Squirtle, then Blue, and both trainers speak at the same time. Bulbasaur, fine! Bulbasaur's vines wrap around Squirtle, but have trouble keeping a grip on the smooth shell. Bulbasaur, stop! Squirtle, back up! Blue slowly circles the berry bush with Squirtle, then points to a clump of berries. Eat! Bulbasaur, bind! Squirtle dodges the vines and grabs a mouthful of berries, but has to jump back to avoid them again. When Bulbasaur moves forward to pursue, Leaf tells him to stop, and Bulbasaur does. Good job, Squirtle! Blue rubs the turtle's smooth shell while Leaf feeds Bulbasaur a part of a new Pokebuff, then hands the rest of Blue to feed to Squirtle. Red watches them for a moment, then unclips Charmander Pokeball and looks at its smooth surface. Inside, he knows Charmander's physical state is suspended while his mind is busy with the Pokeball's virtual reality, a pre-programmed experience akin to dreaming. He pulls out his Pokedex and aligns their lens so he can see what Charmander is doing. The screen displays a stadium. Charmander is facing down an assortment of Pokemon, as Red, or rather, the recording of him that has been programmed to the decks at Professor Oak's lab gives Charmander various commands. It won't make the Pokemon any stronger, but Red knows the virtual training will subconsciously help Charmander become even more used to his instructions in fighting in general. He reclips Charmander to his belt and pulls out his new Rattata's ball. Instead of the more advanced scenario Charmander is experiencing, Rattata isn't facing any foes, but simply learning basic commands. Red watches her tackle a mannequin, then begin biting it as its virtual self instructs her to. This sort of virtual training doesn't form as strong a bond as training in person, and there's less room for creativity or learning for the trainer, but it's a convenient method of allowing virtually anyone to capture and train a Pokemon of their own. Red remembers learning about Pokeball technology at school. Most of the students had just followed the lesson and taken notes at various levels of attention, but Red could barely listen and write at the same time, mind racing with possibilities. 
He'd finally raise his hand and interrupt the teacher and ask why people couldn't just go into Pokeballs and learn everything through virtual lessons. The class had gone silent, many kids turning to give Red a strange look. People can't go in Pokeballs, dummy, his classmate Becca had said. The teacher had reprimanded her, but then reiterated the well-known point. Pokeballs are for Pokemon. They won't work on people. Red barely paid attention the rest of the day. He never really thought much about the distinction between people and Pokemon, but in those moments it had seemed trivial to him. Surely someday, he thought, they would refine technology to upload humans as data as well. His mind kept coming up with new things, such as a breakthrough that would allow near-instant travel, protection from imminent danger, the ability to stay suspended at the same age for decades and jump ahead in time. Red smiles now, remembering his naivete. It wasn't until years later, when he was reading one of the books Professor Oak had given him, that he learned the truth. They can create Pokeballs to work on people. The technology had been available from the very beginning, but the atomization and compression isn't quite so simple for creatures with higher cognitive functions. The first humans who had volunteered to be stored in a Pokeball and then reformed had emerged physically healthy, but severely brain damaged. The book hadn't elaborated further and Red had done some independent research online to learn the full story. Over the years, the matter compression technology had continued to advance, and occasionally human testing was tried again. Criminals facing the death penalty were offered the choice of entering the Pokeball instead. If they survived with their wits intact, their sentence would be lowered to a mere life imprisonment. Time and time again, the results were the same. At best, a regression of mental state to a toddler level. At worst, permanent catonia. Ultimately, the decision was agreed by all levels of government. Pokeballs were for Pokemon. The creation or use of devices that would recognize and store humans became the felony of the greatest magnitude, allowing law enforcement to go all out against anyone suspected of doing so. All further research on the topic was put to a halt. Red sighs and puts his Radtez Pokeball away, the screen of the Pokedex going still as the lenses on the line. As amazing as technology is, he can't help but wonder what things humanity could accomplish if they were willing to take a few more risks. All right, that should do it, Leaf says. She feeds her Pokemon the last bit of another puff through the bushes branches, then gets to her feet. Let's get some distance and let Bulbasaur do his thing. They find a grassy knoll not too far from the bush and Lyre crouched behind it. Heads just high enough to watch the bush. Blue rolls three shrunken Pokeballs around his palm by flexing his fingers, while Leaf scans the skies. Red scans through the Pokedex's map, looking ahead at the locations it would soon travel to, and refreshing his memory of the Pokemon native to there. Some manky to the rest of Viridian City. Would be useful to catch one, though they're rare. Lots of Weedle in the forest, not to mention Kakuna and Beedrill. Better stock up on poison antidotes. The sun continues to inch along the sky, and eventually Blue excuses himself to duck behind some trees. While he's gone, Leaf turns to Red. So, what does it take to become a professor in Kanto? Red scratches his chin where a blade of grass is tickling. First, to become a registered Pokemon researcher, I need to contribute an independent article based on my observations and experiences with one of my Pokemon. I can submit it through the Pokedex, but I have to wait for it to be peer-reviewed to be accepted. Can it be anything? Red nods. Pretty much. I just need to discover or verify something new. Once I'm a researcher, I can advance by increasing my H-index. That's the relationship between the number of papers published and the times you've been cited, right? Yeah. So the more papers I publish, the more chances of being cited by others. But high-quality research will likely shoot my score way up. Once I hit 20, I can become an instructor. At 30, I can apply to become an associate professor and work in the lab under Professor Oak. 
And then, when you get your own lab? Red shrugs. Could take years. I need to demonstrate knowledge in every major species in the region to apply to become a professor. And once I pass that test, my dissertation has to disprove or overturn a previous theory that has already been established. Leaf gives a low whistle. Every species in the region? That's a lot of work. Yeah, but I can start making money for articles I contribute or review once I'm a researcher, so it's incrementally rewarding along before I reach the end. Do you make a lot? It depends on the discovery, but not generally. The rewards are structured more towards verifying or disproving than submitting. And you weren't able to do any as part of your apprenticeship? Get a head start on it? My work in the lab involved a lot of paperwork and assistance of others with their research, so I got a chance to observe firsthand the proper procedure, format, and standards, which will help a lot when doing my own research and getting it accepted. So, so to keep publishing papers, you have to study and catch a lot of Pokemon, more than gym leaders have even. Or spend a lot of time with a few dozen, yeah, he smiles. Discovering what new species would put me on the fast track, though, so let me know if you spot any. She grins. For cut of the funds, sure. Sounds fair, I- Look! Leaf points as a rat hatter approaches the berry bush, and they watch as it inches closer, closer. Then Leaf yells out, Bind! As it begins nibbling at some berries. Bulbasaur's vines whip out and catch the startled Ratata, holding it up off the ground to prevent it from running. Leaf and Red dash to the bush, where the squirming rodent is trying to twist around and bite the vines holding it. Bulbasaur, tackle! The vines slam the Ratata down and unwind just as Bulbasaur rockets out from the bush and tackles it. It tumbles away in a daze, and Leaf's Pokeball quickly scans it, then flies through the air and snaps it up. The lens blinks red, then stills. Nice job, Red says. You trained him really well. Thanks. I used to practice with my mom's Pokemon. Leaf picks her new Rattata up with a grin, then pulls her Pokedex out and registers it. Once it's programmed to her trainer ID, she clips it to her belt, where it will begin the basic training program Red's Rattata is going through. Red brushes his fingers over his own Rattata's ball. At least one of us should nickname ours in case we have to pull them out at the same time. Good idea. I'll try to think of one. Leaf crouches down to rub Bulbasaur's head and feeds him another Pokepuff. Good boy, Bulbasaur. You're such a good boy. They hear running from behind and turn to see Blue, one hand holding up his pants as the other grips a Pokeball. What happened? Did I miss it? He looks around wildly, breathing hard. Leaf and Red glance at each other before collapsing in laughter. Blue blinks at them, then scowls. Cheeks darkening as he puts a Pokeball away and finishes zipping and buttoning his pants. Eventually, Red recovers enough to explain, and they retreat to the hill after Leaf instructs Bulbasaur to return to the bushes. So now I'm the only one without a second Pokemon, Blue grumbles as he settles down again. Don't worry, you get the Pidgey for sure, Leaf says. Red grins. Unless you have to go pee again. You did get a chance to finish, right? Leaf buries her laughter in her arms as Blue punches Red in his good shoulder. And the two begin to roll across the knoll, scuffling. It's only when Leaf catches her breath and tells them they'll scare away the Pokemon that they disengage and flop back down beside her. Red nurses a bruised rib where Blue's niece had caught him, while Blue examines a tear in his sleeve. The clouds drift across the sun, darkening the fields as the wind sends ripples through the grass. Red checks the time, noting that they have another two hours of sun left, plenty to reach Viridian City by nightfall, though only if the Pidgey shows up within the next thirty minutes. It takes ten, though it's not alone. Leaf gives a small gasp, then points. Three Pidgey wheel in the distance, dipping and looping around each other, steadily making their way closer. Within moments, they land and begin to hop over to the bush. Blue curses and Leaf bites her lower lip. Red's hand falls to his Pokeball. What would the other two Pidgey do when Bulbasaur grabs the third? Run or attack? 
The bushes would provide some cover, but outnumbered the way he is, Bulbasaur might be seriously hurt before they can reach him. Red unclips Charmander's Pokeball, though he doesn't release him yet. At the explosive sound might scare them away. We'll throw them, he whispers to Leaf. Bulbasaur will grab one, then Charmander and Squirrel show up. The other two might run for it or get distracted. Blue nods and takes a deep breath. Eyes on the Pidgey. They hop closer, another hop. Then one pecks at the bushes, grabbing a berry. Bind! Red leaps to his feet and throws as hard as he can, yelling, Charmander, go! As Blue does the same with his Squirtle. The Pokeballs soar through the air as the three Pidgey explode into action, flapping and chirping in alarm as one of them struggles against the vines holding it. Bulbasaur keeps his target from flying away, but the other two are already pecking his vines to free their companion. The rat Pidgey gets his second wing free and begins to flap, lifting itself a bit. Bulbasaur gets dragged from his concealment as he tries to hold on to the Pidgey, and the two free birds immediately shift focus to attack him with their beaks and talons. Red and Blue's Pokeballs hit the ground, bounce, and light flashes as they discharge their contents, sailing back up into the air. Charmander and Squirtle seem a bit disoriented at first from the commotion five feet away from them, but quickly shift into combat stances. Squirtle rising her hind legs as Charmander claws extend. Charmander, imp scratch! Red yells as he runs, remembering just in time not to use the fire attack. So inconvenient! Squirtle, water gun! Charmander leaps to the nearest Pidgey and begins to claw at it while Squirtle blasts the other with a jet of water. For a second there, Red had been worried Squirtle would hit Charmander, but the turtle continues to shoot jets of water at the unengaged bird as Charmander knocks away the lower one. Blue! I'm going to let it go! Be ready! Leaf yells from behind them as they run towards the bush. By the time they reach the scuffle, Blue has a Pokeball in each hand, pressing their buttons to expand them and pointing their lenses at the Pidgeys. Precious seconds pass as he tries to keep them steady on the birds, shifting his arm slightly as the two free Pidgey fly around and occasionally dive at their Pokemon. Gotta keep their wings busy. Charmander, bite! Charmander latches onto his opponent's shoulder with his teeth. Stuck, the Pidgey pecks at the lizard's face, and Red's heart leaps into his throat as he sees blood on its beak. His eyes! Charmander, tail whip! Charmander's tail coils around him and presses against the Pidgey, causing it to trill and flail frantically to escape the flames rather than continue its assault. Squirrel keeps the third Pidgey at bay with bursts of water every time it attempts to get close, while their target continues to drag Bulbasaur further away as it tries to lift off. Bulbasaur's feet leave the ground for a moment before he settles back down, digging his feet and slamming the Pidgey against the ground without too much effort. Hollow Bones doesn't have much mass. Finally, a pair of dings sound. Do it! Blue yells. Bulbasaur, tackle! Bulbasaur draws his vines in and runs forward as he pulls the Pidgey towards him. He releases it just as it hits, but the bird is already airborne and barely flinches. The tackle does turn it around, however, and its first few flaps aim it towards them instead of away. Blue throws, then shifts the left Pokeball to his right hand and throws again, aiming higher. The Pidgey climbs over the first ball, only to be hit by the second. Yes! Blue pumps his fists as the bird disappears in a flash of light. Charmander continues to struggle with a second Pidgey, and Red can see both Pokemon tiring. Leaf, I'm going to tell Charmander to back up, he says, positioning himself behind the lizard. Get a ball ready to catch that one. Got it! She runs forward until she's just a few feet away and expands a ball, then aims its lens. Can't get a lock with Charmander so close. Charmander, back! The red lizard releases his target and scampers towards Red, favoring a foreleg as blood runs down its face. The Pidgey flaps its wings and tries to gain altitude, but Leaf's ball pings its lock, and she throws it, hardly needing to aim from being so close. The ball hits the second Pidgey and bounces off of it before opening and sucking inside as it falls. 
The third pixie chirrups, then wheels around and flies away. Red is already kneeling beside Charmander, a potion in one hand and a small towel in the other. Hold still, Charmander, you did so well, he whispers, heart pounding as he wipes blood away from the lizard's face. He notices his hand shaking and takes a deep breath, trying to steady himself. Super adrenaline, go away, need to focus. Charmander's eyes are closed, so he sprays the potion onto the wounds he can see. His Pokemon slowly relaxes, and Red pulls out his water bottle, wetting the towel and gingerly wiping around the wounds. One, two, three. Three peck marks. And when Charmander opens his eyes, they're both undamaged. One particularly bad one hit the lizard's previous wound, and Red uses the rest of the potion on the spot, watching the blood flow slow and forms a dark scab, the new pink flesh already shrinking the wound around the edges. Red lets out a breath and gingerly hugs his Charmander, careful of its tail. It snuggles against his chest, claws sharp but not piercing the skin. It snuggles against his chest, claws sharp but not piercing his skin. How is he? Blue says after a minute. Red looks up at Blue. He's okay. Bulbasaur? Same, Leaf says, putting her potion bottle away. They got him pretty bad though, and the plan on his back is shredded a bit. I'd like to get him to a Pokemon Center to make sure there's no permanent damage. Yeah. Red slowly disentangles himself from Charmander and feeds him a handful of berries while Blue retrieves their Pokeballs from the grass. He hands Red the one with the flame on it, and the three trainers withdraw their Pokemon, and Blue registers his new Pidgey. Red smiles, the elation of victory filling him now that he knows his Pokemon is okay. Nice catch, man. For a second there, I thought you grabbed two. Red chuckles. If Squirtle had knocked down the third, I'd have gone for it, but I just wanted insurance against the first guy. Got a sense for how to dodge balls from their earlier suck fest. Who's getting the second one? She Red. is. They look at each other. I just got a new Pokemon, Leaf says. So? I did too, a few hours ago. Charmander's the one that fought it. I'd be happy to take it, Blue offers. Red ignores him. You and Bulbasaur are the reason we got these at all. Leaf hesitates. Are you sure? Red makes himself smile. He wants a flyer, he can't deny that, but Pidgey are fairly common Pokemon, and he's sure he'll get one eventually. There are other alternatives coming up soon anyway. I'm sure. Go for it. Leaf grins and hugs him. Thank you. Red blinks, an indistinct and uncomfortable feeling rising in his chest. Um, it's okay. What? It's okay? Leaf lets him go and collects the Pokeball. As it downloads her trainer ID, she presses a button on the Pokedex. Pokedex. Nickname. Crimson. Pidgey nickname confirmed. Crimson. The Pokedex replies in a robotic but somehow cheerful voice. Uploading name recognition exercises. Estimated time to completion, 14 minutes, 37 seconds. Leaf puts the Pokedex and ball away and looks up to red and blue. Still haven't thought of one for my Rattata, she says with a smile. Red scratches the hair beneath his cap, then resettles it over his head, feeling vaguely embarrassed by the homage. Well, we've got time to think of names on the way to Viridian. Should I name my Rattata a green? No, that's stupid. They collect their things and walk on as the sun slowly paints the sky red and gold. This has been a reading of Pokemon Origin of Species, written by Daystar Eld, read by Mars Oliva. This chapter's original text can be found at daystareld.com. The music used is Goodnight, My Friends by DJ Cutman. <laughs>